are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. Good morning. Wow. He's already has it covered. Isn't that great? Children, you are released to go to Kingdom Kids. Youth, you are released. Claim youth group. And we pray you have a wonderful time. Well, I wanted to personally thank each one of you who fasted and prayed this week uh, for all the people in our congregation that are up against various things. And uh, I've heard some good reports of some uh, people having breakthroughs. Uh, That's a wonderful thing. And I I really appreciate uh, Sharice's perspective on the Lord, when the Lord was about to be betrayed, God had it covered. In the darkest hour, God had it covered. And I love that about God. He's got it covered. And it doesn't look it in the natural when we're dealing with one another in the specific circumstances in our city. But I trust that God has it all under control. And uh, he's got this too. Amen. So again, thank you uh, for uh, hearing the clarion call to rise up in such an hour and time as this to pray and fast for those in our congregation and our city. And we will be doing more of that. That's very evident that we need to. So we thank the Lord for that. Well, this morning I want to continue in our series Uh, in his image. And I want to talk to you about an image of glory. And I want to take you to the book of Genesis in the first chapter. We're only going to look at two verses. I might kind of go into some other things, but um, I'd like to concentrate on these two verses and talk about an image of glory. And it says this in the book of Genesis, the first chapter, verse 27, uh, 26 and 27. And it reads this. Then God said, it's what it says. Then God said, right? Why why do we make things complicated? He said it, he did it, it was accomplished, and it made a difference. Boy, do we need God to set it again. (laughs) And God, then God said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 7. It reads this. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It seems that everybody who walked in here today was experiencing the breath of life. You are alive. I'm happy to see you walk through those doors today. That's a blessing to us. So the breath, 
He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In many translations, it either means humankind, mankind, humanity. So it's a plural when it talks about man, just so we know that uh, as well. God did not need to create humanity. I think we thought he was trying to come up with something creative besides, you know, the earth. The, you know, but he didn't need to create humanity, but he created us for his own glory. And God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation were created to glorify his name. And there was already, I love this, perfect love and perfect fellowship among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were not lonely. They were not having isolation issues. They were not depressed because they had one another. They were perfect in relationship. Amen? And I think we often forget that And that's actually found in John chapter 17, verse 5. That thought alone. And I found it very sobering that God did not need me. That upset me. Because I like to be needed. How about you? But he didn't need mankind for any reason. However, because he created us and something about who we are how we think, how we choose to live our lives, and when we're in right relationship with him, everything about us brings glory to his name as we, as we live in him and have our being. The prophet Isaiah affirms this truth in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, when he said, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He's saying to us in that one verse that the reason you were created in his name was to bring him glory. I think I'm trying to drive something home this morning. No, I'm not being repetitive, but I'm pointing out it's all for his glory. And since the word boldly declares that we were created for his glory, it should not minimize our insecure it should minimize our insecurities and it should inspire our hearts knowing that we have value to God anything that brings glory to the Lord has value you and i have value i have a 20 dollar bill here right here see that 20 dollars no it's not monopoly money it's not funny money it's real And how much do you think this is worth? Inflation says it's worth less. But it's still $20. Okay. Well, what if I crumbled it up? Is it $20? What if I threw it on the ground right now? I threw it on the ground and I stamped on that felt good. $20. Did it change its value? No, it's still $20. Um, This has intrinsic value. It's worth 20. 
Now, why is it worth 20? Is it because of the type of paper it's made out of? Is it because of the type of ink they use? Is it because of the picture on the paper? Is that worth 20? I don't think so. No, it's worth 20 because somebody of some form of authority gave it its value. It would never have become a 20 unless a person of authority gave it its value. And when you're looking at people who are made in the image of God, they have value. No matter how much the enemy has stomped on that person's life, no matter what darkness has provoked that person to decide on how they should live, no matter what has happened to that individual, no matter what they've done wrong in their life, no matter what bad decisions, good decisions they've made, they still are created in the image of God. I remember having a discussion with a very intellectual person. And I said that God loves all those who are made in his image and they matter to him they began to argue that unless they were sons and daughters, they really didn't have the same value. We went to town on that argument. I left believing more what I believed and they left fighting and disagreeing with me. Can I tell you anywhere in scripture that no matter who the person may be, no matter what lifestyle they may be choosing to live, or decisions they've made in their lives, they still are made in the image of God, and they matter to God. Amen? Come on, folks. Let's get that right. Our purpose in life is to fulfill the reason that God created us in his image. And what is that for? I just said it. How many times? What are we supposed to do? Say it. Bring him glory. glory. Right. It's to glorify him. And I want to share some truths with you so that we can understand that significance. Because you would think that believers understand the significance of being made in the image of God. And there is a confusion of the image of God versus sons and daughters of God. And that's where the mentality shifts. In order to be a son and a daughter of God, you need to have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In order to have an eternal destiny, you need to have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In order to be forgiven for your sins, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, which makes you a son or a daughter. But that does not mean that those who have not yet done that are not significant in the eyes of the Lord. And I think we get that. And sometimes in Christian belief, we shift the, we're more significant. No, 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 no. We're just born again. Which is essential if you want a personal relationship with God, right? But it doesn't minimize the power of the image of God in people's lives. And so I wanted to really go home on the idea that we are created in the image of God. And when God says, let us make man in our likeness, the scripture informs us that God planned to make people similar to himself. And in the book, 
the foundation of Pentecostal theology, the book discusses three words that are used in chapter 1 and chapter 2 to describe man's creation. And the first Hebrew word is hasah. And that means to form, to construct, to prepare, to build. And that's found in Genesis 26, when God said, let us make. That word make is asah. And what he's thinking of is constructing, forming, preparing to build. And this was done in the council of the triune God. That was a complete decision upon the triune God at that moment. It was in the council of wisdom. It was in the council of discernment. How it was going to be brought about the image of God within humanity was decided at the moment God had spoken. Let us make. And so he wanted to construct, prepare humankind in conformity to his own image. And then the next word for creation is bara. And that means the production or effectuation of something new, something rare, and something wonderful. You can look at the person next to you and say, Yo, I am something rare. Yes. And some of you should say it louder because you are. You know what I mean? Chris, did you say that loud enough to your wife? You didn't. I didn't think so. And so when you look at Bara, it's God is thinking of his beautiful design of mankind, humankind. He's thinking of something and someone that would have the ability to have community with him and community with that in which he was about to create or what he had already created because man was created on the sixth day, right? So everything else was already in motion. And so he wanted to make sure that it was something beyond what he had already created. It was something that would distinguish and be distinguishedly different from what he had already created. And so it minimizes and erases any form of evolution, is what it does. That doctrine doesn't stand up against Genesis chapter 1. Because of this one word. And so he, he creates man, and he wanted them to do something new, and something wonderful that had, would not have been done by all the other things he had created. And that would be distinguished from all other things. And that's what we are. We're distinguished. And then uh, we see that in, in that chapter as well. And when in, cha- in chapter 1, verse 27, so it says, so God created man in his own image, in his image of God, in, in the image of God, he created them. That's bara. And then when you go to chapter 2, verse 7, that's another Hebrew word of the creation of man, yatsar, is what that is. And the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
And God formed and shaped them from the earth as the potter. And that's the picture when you see the picture of the potter and the wheel and the vessel being formed. That's the hands-on treatment of God's creation. This was a hands-on intervention of God designing in a specific way from the earth. From the earth. And then would breathe into it his very self, his own breath. And so as a result, there's this creative combination of an earthly element and a heavenly element. Because the heavenly element is the triune God breathing and speaking. And at this moment, all the things were created. The earth was created, but humans were created differently. And so we see here that there is... This beautiful element of both earth and heaven and humankind becoming living beings in the image of our creator. And don't think for a minute because people describe when a person becomes a person. That because science has determined when a person becomes a person. No, 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 no. There's something of God in the design of Yatsar that indicates it's heavenly. It's set apart. It's distinguished with the breath of life in the moment of existence. I don't need to preach anything else but that. Amen? If that really wrecks your world, you can talk to me privately. Ooh, I can just sit on that moment right there. That's a holy thought, isn't it? When I look now, as we move through this idea of God creating, God placing his hands on, God designing in such a distinct way, and God breathing his breath into us, this holy breath, this breath of righteousness, this divine intervention of wrath that has maintained you since you were conceived. And you're walking in that breath of life every single day. That breath is his image. It's powerful. And when Felipe said today, I just, when I get up in the morning, I'm so grateful for my life. Have you not heard Felipe say that? All, all the time. He's so redundant, but it's so wonderful. It's all good. It's, all good. it's so wonderful because it's so needed. It's so wonderful because when life is threatened, listen. When the breath of God is threatened, you understand the gift of life. Get a little cold and a little wheezy and we all panic. Right? We understand the gift of life. 
And that's why he's so grateful is because his life has been threatened time and time and time again. And he's made in the likeness of God and he holds on to the truth that God's got my life, my very breath in the palm of his hand because he borrowed me. He created me. He touched me. He formed me. He existed me. He spoke into existence his image within my life. I meant to live for God. That's what, really, that's what he's saying. Well, that's why they pay me the big bucks, okay? (laughs) Oh, there's always one in the crowd. If it's not Kevin Shoemaker, it's somebody else. (laughs) Oh, it's glorious. Now listen, I know this is, I'm taking you down kind of like, I don't go this route usually. I usually don't teach like this. But it's so important to understand the foundation of what we're talking about. Now when you go to the image of God, that word image, I love that word. And uh, studied it in seminary, tore it all apart, ate it up and never understood all the big words. So what I did is I went to things. I said, Lord, I just want to zero it in here. Because it gets too complicated. And I look at the word image, and it comes from the Hebrew word, tisalma. And um, the Hebrew word for likeness is demute. And so when you look at these two words, tisalma and demute, Image and likeness. And you put them together. Those two words actually are synonymous in, in the sense that they're, they're saying it's not an identical representation, but it is of the image-like. So we're not going to ever be identical to God because of sin, but we will be restored somewhat like to the image of God. Do you understand that? And so God intends us to manifest his character, his authority, and express his dominion over the earth through what he's actually commanded us to accomplish and display his indisputable power over darkness. We are God's image bearers here on earth. That's who we are. And so we represent, in the largest term, in the easiest form of theology, we are representation of the image of who God longs us to be through the likeness of Jesus Christ. You have to do it through Jesus Christ. That's what allows us to walk in the image of God. The late Art Linkletter once saw a little boy drawing this picture. And he inquired, he said, what are you drawing, young man? And the little boy responded very easily, I'm drawing a picture of God. And uh, Art told the young man that no one knows what God looks like, to which the little boy responded, he said, they will when I get through. (laughs) So what does God look like? What is your image of God? How do you picture God? 
How does God want to be known? And how does he want people to see him? Through you. Through you. The teacher's commentary discusses how we actually are not just a image that was created, but we are a personally designed image. There's a personal touch to our image in God. And God is a personal God. He's not a distant God. We know that. He's a God who designs. He's a God who plans. He's a God who communicates. He has a will. He has emotions. He gets upset with you and I. He gets upset with the things of this world. When he's not pleased, you'll know it. Try not to please him and you'll find out. (laughs) Don't, because I have and it's not good. God has values. He chooses. He appreciates beauty. He demonstrates creativity. He's strategic. He makes distinctions between right and wrong. He's just. He's angry. He loves deeply. And he he sacrifices for the sake of others. And humanity is the only one of earth's creatures able to reason uh, abstractly to create and innovate and to choose as a free agent and to communicate and worship God. There's no other creature on earth capable of doing that. And that's because humankind is made in his image and likeness. You were not made from an ape. You did not evolve. You may act that way at times, but it doesn't mean you evolved from it. When I look at part of my responsibility to fulfill the reason that God has created me to bring him glory, I realize that since I've sinned, God's image has been distorted. But I also realize that as I repented from my sin, that the image is not lost. Isn't that great? It's distorted due to sin, but it's not completely lost. And even in a person who has not yet found Christ, their image of God is very distorted, but it's not lost. Because the breath of God still keeps them alive. They exist through the breath of God. And so um, there is still enough, uh, enough likeness to God remaining in us. And we're, not cert- we're, we're, we're certainly not fully like God as we were before the fall. Sin is a battle against godliness. And because of sin, our moral purity is always being threatened. And we struggle to reflect holiness and purity. Our intellect has been corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. Our speech does not glorify God when it is back, filled with backbiting, slander, gossip, judgments, racist remarks. Anything of that caliber, cussing in the Lord's name, does not glorify God. 
Our relationships are often governed by selfishness and greed and covetousness, self-centeredness rather than love. And so the image of God in us is marred by our own sin. We have to take responsibility to that. Don't point to the person next to you and say, you did it. No, 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 no. Our sin damages the image of God within us. And so it confu- why, why are people confused with Christians? Because our sin mars the image of God. And it diffuses the glory of God because of our behavior. I, I often think about how does, a, how, how, did a, how does a worm get inside an apple? You, you think that the worm borrows in from the outside and goes inward, but scientists have actually discovered that worms come actually from the inside out. And I'm like, well, how does that happen? And I have an apple tree in my backyard. And my apples at the end of the season are filled with worms. And what happens is that insects will land on the blossom in the spring. And they'll stay on that blossom and wet. And they'll actually be in, inside the heart of the apple once the a- apple starts to grow. And then the worm works its way out. And that's what sin is like. Sin is like that worm. The sin is inside and it works itself out through our actions and our words and our behaviors. And so when we are behaving in such a way, you need to, you need to address those attitudes, those words, those behaviors, because it's coming from the hardness of the heart. That's where it's coming from. And Ephesians 4 really has helped me in my wife, in my life, not my wife, in my life. (laughs) I better be careful right here. Hope that was not a Freudian slip, you know what I mean? But Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 says this. This has really guarded my heart once I got saved. It really put things into perspective. It began to realign my rebellious nature. A rebellious nature that was extremely sensuous. And we're in a very sensuous society. There's a spirit of sensuousness, sensuality, and it's destructive. And it convolutes the purity and righteousness of God's image in you. It says this, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and with a continual lust for more. And we're living in a society that actually promotes lust. Look at every, turn your TV on. Oh my goodness, it's sickening. Turn, turn your screens on and you can travel anywhere you want and see anything you want for pleasure. We live in a sensuous society. 
And we have got to moderate those things that influence those weaknesses in ourselves. In the book, Doctrines of Our Faith, it posed this question. And it said, and you've heard this question before. This is not a new question. You've heard it preached. If God, is, if God in his foreknowledge knew that men would fall, why did he create them? And the author in the book said, it's hard for us to discern God's motives, but the divine purpose, um, uh, but in the divine purpose, it was determined that mankind in God's image would be redeemed through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was thought of from the beginning. Make no mistake, it was, it was an afterthought. It was all a part of the creation plan. And it was all a part of redeeming. The next point, through the redemption in Christ, there's this progressive restoration to God's image. I, I look a lot better than I did 30-something years ago. Can I tell you that? I've watched, as I've prayed with people in my office here, the minute I prayed, that their whole countenance changed. I'm talking about they confess with their mouth, they believe in their hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord, boom, bada bing, bada boom, changed right before you. Now that doesn't mean everything is changed. There will be a a sanctification process, but it means their hearts have changed, their mind has changed, their spirits have changed, and now they can actually be restored back to the image God created them to walk in. And you can see it in people. It's beautiful. Um, I really appreciate that. And as we grow in our understanding of God, in his word, in his character, in his attributes, his will and purposes, we begin to accommodate ourselves to God's pattern rather than the worldly lusts and the worldly systems of sensuality. Can't I'm telling you the truth. The enemy has designed systems in the world of sensuality. To overwhelm your sensory awareness and your senses, which there are five, to touch every one of those areas of senses to heighten your desire for the things of the world the things of the flesh, and the things of the enemy. Do not kid yourself that it's not in the system of sensuality. It is. We name that spirit love. Mm -mm. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test, approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Part of being restored to the image of God is really not conforming to the pattern of the world so that you will know his good and perfect will for your life. That's part of the restoration process. And Christ's redemptive power is, is there to reinstate the features of God's original intention and recover many aspects of the human mind, the human soul, the human heart that was designed before the fall. 
He wants to bring us back to that original state of relationship with one another. Jack Hayford says and points out, redemption's uh, provision of power will instill godliness in us, renovate our thoughts, which helps formulate our purpose and our actions become character-determining habits. You want to walk in the image of God in a clearer sense and become more like him Jack Hayford is saying, you've got to allow the redemptive power of Christ's resurrection power to begin to cleanse, renew, restore, and replace all habits of destruction. Thinking, sinful habits of destruction. And he's saying you've got to allow God to reroute those thoughts and shut them down, take them out, and replace them. And we've talked about that over the years many times. The body of a redeemed person, and we've heard this, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. When we are, when we are taking on the image of God, we acknowledge we're temples of the Holy Ghost. We say we want our actions. We want our behaviors. We want the things that come into the body, that go out of the body, to be stamped by the glory of God which actually resembles his image. And he's saying that when you're off and you're sensuous and you're off and you uh, give into the flesh, no matter what area you give into, like right away everybody goes to the sexual issues. We're not even just talking sexual issues. We're talking any form of evil that would come and touch the image of God within you. That would damage that. And, and uh, so he's saying, you're the body of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have to progressively live our lives in a way that will restore the damage that we brought due to our sinful choices from the past. And so that means you have to cut yourself off from situations, places, people, habits, Anything like that, that would damage what God's trying to restore. I, I said something a few weeks ago about what's in your cupboards. What's in your refrigerators? What's on your computer? What's on your phone? Who's in your bedroom? Praise the Lord Jesus. We didn't have to answer that aloud. I'm going to give you a gold star for that answer. <laughs> Pastor, don't talk like that. That's rude. No, it isn't. It's real. Because we're in a sensuous society. And its sensuality is defined as love. It isn't pure love. I like what 1 Corinthians encourages me to do. It says, do you not know? Whew. Paul, I like Paul. Do you not know? Can't you hear him? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, the breath of God's life, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. As believers, we're called to steward our own bodies. Since the Holy Spirit lives in our bodies, we cannot claim ownership of our bodies. And God has purchased our bodies and our spirits with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so with that comes disciplines. With that comes forsaking old habits and desires that would bring us back into that old place of walking in an image that does not represent godliness, holiness, and purity, and righteousness. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, Often those who are thought to be the worst of people turn out to be the best. Many of the most precious pearls have been found in the deepest sea. And some of the most grateful hearts have been discovered among those who were the most immersed in sin and error. And to those I say, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Our purpose in life is to fulfill the reason that God created us in his image. To glorify him. We are God's image bearers here on earth. And every day you have a new opportunity to glorify God as his image is restored in your life. You will glorify God and restore his image in your life if you choose purity and morality. Not sensuality and lust. For you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Purposely choose to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know when the enemy's trying to set your mind up to be encaged with old destructive thoughts and desires, memories and feelings. Rebuke, renounce, cast down in the name of Jesus. There's name, the name of Jesus is powerful. Guard your speech. Tame your tongue and don't allow deadly poison to pour forth from what you say. Choose how you say what you say. Choose love in your relationships rather than selfishness and vain conceit. Allow God to shape, form, and restore you into the image he has for you. And choose to obey his word as he chooses to form, restore, and renovate what he intentioned all along when he gave you birth. You are an image of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time of celebration in your presence today. We thank you, Lord God, that you long for us to walk in the glory of your image, that you have purposed us from the get-go as you created us in your likeness. We want to celebrate that we were created in your likeness and therefore have great value. We thank you this morning that we are called to be image bearers on this earth. We're called to represent you. 
And we thank you, Lord God, that you're a personal God and that when you breathe life into us, something of who you are, how you think, and what you long for us to accomplish was birthed at that moment. We want to take hold of that and walk in that in your precious name. And Lord, we know that our sin has distorted your image, but we're asking for a total restoration in us. That Father, that that thing that works from the inside out that's not of God, we ask you would deliver us from those things in our lives. We rebuke that spirit of sensuality in this society. We rebuke it in ourselves. We ask that you would help us not to indulge in areas of impurity, in areas of continual lust, but you would give us strength to overcome and walk in purity. We bless you for that, Lord God. We thank you that it's a progressive restoration. And Father, that you are giving us the grace to walk in the sanctifying, redemptive power of our Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, not to conform to the things of the world, the flesh or the devil. And Lord, we just set ourselves apart this morning, recognizing we are temples of the Holy Ghost. He's alive in us. He's empowered within us. We receive from you because he dwells within us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, we just understand that we are your precious pearls that you rescued from the deepest places of sin. We are yours. Continue to restore your image in our lives that we might bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.